Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, editor of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Claire Bike, president and owner of Ascend Consulting Environmental Health and Safety, about workplace safety trends for 2022. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Claire Bike, president and owner of Ascend Consulting EHS. Welcome to the show, Claire. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. It's an honor. Awesome. Um, I, was, I was wondering, we were going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, workplace safety in 2022, but I wanted to start off by having you sort of um, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about Ascend. Oh, yeah. Um, so again, Claire Bike, um, I have started off and spent many years in the environmental health and safety programs um, at facilities, uh, manufacturing mainly. Uh, kind of fell into it the way so many other people do, you know, that other duties as assigned role goes. Um, and it was, it was something that, you know, I just, I realized one day, um, I, I certainly didn't hate it and I wasn't terrible at it. And so much so that I really enjoyed the research and the, the knowledge that I was gaining each and every time a situation would come up. So, just kind of grew into the role uh, at a facility. They they gave me the opportunity. I had a phenomenal mentor who really saw something in me and just really kept pushing me in that direction, um, eventually making management within a couple of years or about one year, one and a half years, and um, just kind of grew from there. I, I went back to school. I went and got my bachelor's degree uh, in envir- occupational health and safety. I went and took sat for my CSP and was able to get that first time around. I was incredibly shocked and then I uh, just kept going. I, I left a facility to start my own business because I just felt like it was something that I would do more, um, more good over several companies rather than staying at just one as well. So um, it's, it's been a fun ride. I have to admit it's, it's been maybe 10 years ago, if you asked me if I was going to end up here doing this, I, I would have laughed at you, but <laughs> I'm so pleased at where it's ended up. Well, that's excellent to hear. Um, so wanted to ask you a little bit about sort of, uh, where you see things going in the next year. Um, and let's talk about workplace safety culture. How do you see that changing, uh, in 2022? Uh, well, I mean, it, it, it's a really good question, and I certainly don't have a crystal ball, but I would say that within within our um, profession for EHS, it's everything has changed so dramatically, and I think we can all agree for since COVID has come into our lives and become obviously such a paramount situation, uh, we we have changed so much in our profession as far as what we're responsible for, what we're doing, how our involvement in it is and our ability to keep up on the information and, and remain relevant, I see that 2022 is going to be absolutely no different as far as we're still going to continue down that road. Um, I think what I am so pleased to see as far as the changes um, go in the last couple of years, and I believe just solidifying itself in the coming year, is how EHS is such a, an important role for facilities to have on, on site and to be able to listen to. I see more EHS um, personnel, professionals, working alongside the um, site managers or the facility managers and, and kind of side by side running a, a facility, making sure that they're all on the same page at all times. So I, that's 
just such a, a wonderful thing to be able to see. And I, I hope, and I do predict that I think that's going to be a little bit more of a standard uh, thing we're going to see in our profession moving forward, for sure. It is, it's important. It's no longer a nice to have, it's a have to have for so many different places. How does that compare to when you were first getting into it, um, you know, in terms of just the role of EHS? Uh, that would, I, I, I almost a pendulum swung the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was one of those situations where I believe I was lucky enough to have a mentor that believed in safety and he really wanted someone to be in that role full time and being able to find a way to justify it. We worked together on that quite a bit, but it was, you know, my word was one of those, it, it was kind of laughed off a little mm-hmm. bit brushed off. We've all yeah. been in that situation where you get asked a question and they're like, yeah, but you're always going to say something like that. You're safety or you're safe. You're the safety person. <laughs> and it was, mm. It's just so um, frustrating when obviously you have no voice almost in every conversation. You're invited to half of the meetings, but not the other half. Um, important situations like planning a facility, um, new wing or a new suite or a new room for manufacturing even, um, you just weren't even brought to the table until somebody was injured well after it was in use. And you're just like, Hey, next time can we work together on the, you know, on, on the build of it and we'll integrate safety into everything that you're, you're wanting to do in this room. And on that ground floor, we can mitigate so many risks. And now people are starting to really realize the cost saving effects of that statement right there, rather than the later on, I, you know, I, it's, it's the cost of doing business is injuries. Unfortunately, so many, so many places do believe that. And it's, it's hurtful. I mean, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> so, well, um, you know, it's good to see that things have uh, changed for the better um, and are continuing to. Um, yeah. What are some of the biggest challenges for EHS leaders in 2022? Ooh, uh, I, there's a handful of them other than, you know, that, that moment of trying to stay relevant with the information as fluid as this uh, COVID pandemic has been and how the changes have just been. Uh, I mean, we just saw it with OSHA and having the mandate go through with, uh, we just did the vaccinations, the mandatory requirements, and then the pullback on a couple other items. Um, sometimes we, we are still learning where we're at and the contagion of COVID. There's still some controversy around so much of it. So I think trying to stay relevant, being able to communicate and be as transparent as possible with the teams that that you're working with. But even more so because of this, we have hybrid um, positions, meaning we have people that are working at home most of the time or they're working on site just very rarely. And what are the expectations for the people that are rarely on site? And we have to re, re-educate each and every time when, the, when we have individuals come on site or just add expectation conversations, those hybrid positions may very well be one of the hardest things that an EHS pro, uh, professional on site is gonna have to deal with because it's gonna be so regular or bringing in vendors, bringing in third parties, being able to track where everybody is with their training, being able to create and motivate that, that passion for safety that they probably have but with people that are remote and it doesn't apply to them as much when you're not on site. So right. it's hard to motivate the same way for sure. 
So yeah, like what are some tips, I guess, to kind of deal with that? Like if you're dealing with somebody remotely. I would, I would say just make sure that they're still part of that daily conversation somehow. I would make sure that you're still engaging them and making them aware, um, paint pictures for people about what's happening on site. I know that when the pandemic started, I, I, I was in one of those people, just like so many others. I certainly wasn't headed home and working from home. I was on site every single day and there wasn't a day that we missed basically, um, trying to be there. But if, you know, if we're really good at painting those pictures as far as what the atmosphere is like, what the morale is like, what is happening, um, maybe lots of the challenges, but lots of the successes, kind of make sure that they still feel like they're part of that on-site team so that they're feeling just as engaged as anybody else that would be there, at least as close as you can get. Um, what about sort of, you know, we're seeing sort of this trend in in general uh with with jobs where people are just kind of walking away from them um you know i know the term mm-hmm. the great resignation is being thrown around yeah you know i'm not sure how that you know whether uh s- safety folks are seeing the same thing but you know how you know how does that sort of challenge you from a motivational standpoint like how do you keep people kind of engaged and and sort of wanting to keep working when there, I guess there are temptations that, you know, or, or, you know, people are scared in some instances to even work. So how do you kind of deal with all that? Uh, it's such a big part of what's going on right now. Uh, we have generations, um, and it's not always the generation, but we have generations of employees that are um, willing to walk away from their jobs a lot more easily than say the older generations or the people that have been in the workforce for a really long time. It's, it's a little bit shocking, I think, to a lot of people, but I would say that um, any, any fully engaged employee um, that feels like they are, their company is committed to them, they're less likely, obviously. Um, studies show that they are very, very much less likely to walk away from their jobs. Um, we are starting to see this paradigm shift of people willing to take less money and stay at home and increase their family life and find jobs that will relate and allow them to do these things. So if we're not, if the company is not willing to be flexible and allow the employees to do that, they, they almost see it as a, um, it's my family or my job and I can always find a job Mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. So we're really seeing a lot of that. So if we're, if the companies aren't willing to be more flexible, the employees are making these executive decisions of fine. I have to liberate myself in order to improve my, my personal life because that's more important. Whereas what we saw before is, you know, the workers attitude of my job is my life. I have to do this and, or there's no jobs out there for me. So I can't, um, that's not the case right now. So it, it, a lot of the, that power shift or, or the paradigm shift has really shifted into the employee's hands. And it's, I, I, I love the fact that we are able to make these decisions for what's most healthy for us and, our, and the psychology of it all. Um, but it, it does mandate that if you don't start kind of shifting as a company, to meet some of these needs. And obviously, if you can't, as a manufacturing company or construction company, allow people to work from home, then obviously that's different. But there is still gonna be people that can can um, work within those those parameters as well. It's just, 
it's it's a unique situation. We have to be able to kind of listen and see what we can do as far as what can we provide for maybe just allowing a 40-hour shift and not mandating overtime and start hiring more people rather than requiring that overtime. Create more shifts, do whatever we can. It's, you, it's a new conversation for businesses to have for sure. Yeah. Are you seeing that start to happen with some businesses? Uh, I Two clients right now, absolutely I did. Um, company I used to work for, I kind of saw that shift already start happening or that conversation already start happening. They are, they made a completely different kind of turn into embracing this new atmosphere because a lot, I think what a lot of people did at one point was say, and I think a bunch of us did this. I know in the very beginning, I, I had the ideas and the wants of saying, hey, Maybe this isn't going to take forever. Um, this this pandemic is going to get, we're going to get through this, you know, within the next six months to a year and we're going to be okay. And as we saw it progress, um, some people still were in that mindset of, uh, yeah, it's it, we're all right around the corner, right around the corner. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> it's not right around the corner and it's been two years and it's still not right around the corner. We are still going to have the effects of the pandemic, whether it's wearing masks or it's long term looking at reducing the brick and mortar for a lot of companies and being able to go into hybrid shift um, and allow people working from home. That telecommuting option for a lot of people is it's been life changing for the better and they don't want to go back to normal and enough companies have shifted that they're allowed or able to. So, how does it change? Be- how does it change uh, from an employer standpoint, you know, what they're looking for in an employee? Cause like you said, you're not going to find a lot of folks who are just sort of, you know, career lifers who are, you know, I'm going to do this <laughs> thing for 30 years and then get, get a pension, yeah. and, you know, cause it's, it's a different world now. So like, what do you yep. look for? And, you know, keeping in mind all these things you've just mentioned about how, you know, there's, there's more of a need for work-life balance. Uh, you know, how do you, how do you, how would you recommend a company sort of go into the hiring process and, and you know, what, what they should look for? Great. And I will say it, like, I heard you say the word pension. I'm like, Oh man, dude, does anybody offer that anymore? <laughs> no. Well, um, it depends on the on the the profession, right? And my wife's a teacher, right. and she gets one. But you know, there's, there's she gets one. Yep. You know, absolutely. There's just so rare nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, I just look at their um, when it comes to the businesses and hiring processes. That recruitment stage is is so much more important and so much harder than it used to be right now, because you are, like you mentioned you're looking for a very unique and hard to quantify um, set of skills in an employee. If we're doing a lot of remote location positions, Mm -hmm. you need to ensure that somebody that first off, do you have a system set up, be able to track and trace um, the work being um, done? How's everything going? A lot of people didn't think it was necessary to do sometimes because everybody was on site. And though the, the, the output of work may not have been incredibly high. They weren't even looking at the output sometimes unless something wasn't done or met a deadline. Um, Now people are very much um, virtually looking at how much work is being done. What's the numbers? What, what are we, what are we tracing and tracking everything that 
these employees are doing, especially you you look at some of these customer service companies, whether it's just, um, you know, say Xfinity or AT&T or whoever it is, any of these companies are just like, oh, <laughs> we're going to completely screen monitor everything that everybody does. Well, right, yeah. that's kind of what's happening is that more people are going into these programs and systems and platforms that monitor and track everything that an employee does on their computer. And um, it, it's just really going to require this recruitment at this point, being able to have that set of skills that I am self-motivated, I am driven, I do have a space, it is quiet, it is secluded, that I can focus and pretend like I'm walking out of home and walking into work, whatever, however they're able to compartmentalize that shift from one spot to another where it used to be your drive to work got you ready and set for right. that day. Yeah. It's your walk over to the room, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you, you got five minutes to get to get ramped up there. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, having those conversations during the recruitment, like what is your process? Um, if, you know, if your drive to work was the way you got ready, you know, in your mindset, what's your, what's your readiness mindset system to get ready for work and get you going in the morning? You know, we went, and company has to secure themselves that they're, they're paying for a product from a, from an employee, right? So that's, that's part of what they're going to have to be able to look at and be able to trust or at least challenge people to answer because and think about because that's what we have to think about now. And and how do you balance sort of your you know the company's expectations versus the employee's you know wishes or demands? You know, I mean, it must be so difficult <laughs> to kind of say you know we expect you to do you know the best job you can you know for forty to fifty mm -hmm. hours and you know uh, and then you've got you know you, but you have to be careful that you know mindful that the person on the other end is saying, well, I could find an easier job, you know, at this company. So maybe I'll just go over there. It's, I, I mean, I think that's always been the challenge. There's certainly companies out there that are much harder and you have to make sure you're competitive with your wages and your mm -hmm. benefits, your time off, your PTO, whatever it is that you're, you're saying, I'm setting myself apart because of these things. If you say that you're you have this altruistic like vision and statement and your mission is just so phenomenal that that's why people want to work for you, then great. Like you better be able to sell that um, and not just sell it, own it, lean into it. Uh, and then there's these other companies that are like, hey, we just we pay phenomenally well, so this is why you want to work for us. And if you want to work for somebody for less money, you're gonna do less work, right? And that's kind of the balance and we as each person going in is interviewing the company just as much as the company is interviewing. And I, that's another bit of a shift that's happened over the last couple of years and probably longer, but I see more people when interviewing uh, saying to the, the employer, Hey, I'm interviewing you just as much as you're interviewing me. I, and that, that question, they're engaging and asking questions just as much. And I think that's, really important for the person going in looking at jobs is this really what i want and, and is the loyalty what you're looking for are you wanting to be loyal to a company what's your goals let them that like just be a transparent and you know sometimes we're always hoping that the the employer is being transparent as well 
because yeah, what's the sort of typical tenure of an employee these days? Like, I imagine it's a lot shorter than it mm-hmm. used to be. Uh, I have no idea what what the answer is, but um, you know, what are you seeing, or you know, ballpark number? You know, I've I've worked in a couple different industries now, and I will say that um, the tenure, if we're talking about an EHS employee. Mm-hmm. I found it really interesting in my research that an EHS professional has, and I, God, I don't even remember where I, I heard it from, otherwise I'd reference it, but I was reading it in one of the articles. Um, it was only, I think it was two to three years at a site. Mm-hmm. And that was, it was to me shocking because I'd been at my company at that point for five, six years. And I was like, oh my gosh, is that what I'm in for now that I've chosen this path? <laughs> Uh oh. <laughs> um, I would say though, it's 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 almost incredibly accurate as I've gone to different conferences and I've you know grown my network. It does seem pretty relevant uh, for the EHS professionals. Now, for um, I, I think it would differ based on the profession. Right, honestly, right. I think if you're looking at frontline workers, absolutely, that turnover rate is much higher than it used to be. Um, for professionals, it, it might be across the board, the turnover rate is getting higher because people are asking themselves those existential questions of mm-hmm. where do I want to be and what do I want to do? What do I want my life to be? Is is my legacy, you know, everybody wants to know what's their legacy. Is, is my legacy going to be the guy that just worked all the time? And I'm a, you know, the old school cats in the cradle kind of moment with my kids. 40 years down the road where he never has time for me, just like I never did for him when I was, when he was a kid right, right. or, or am I going to like find time and create those special memories with my family and really make an impact with them rather than make an impact at my job. So like I said, I think those existential questions are creating this paradigm shift for so many employers. And it's, it's, it's a huge struggle they, you, you have to almost sell yourself during an interview just as much as they feel that you feel they should be selling themselves to you. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Um, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I just, I'm, I'm looping back. Did that answer the question or are we on? <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, great. Um, Want to switch gears and ask you about uh, ESG uh, efforts in 2022? How do you feel, uh, or how do you think organizations will handle, you know, those environmental, social, and governance efforts? Ooh, uh, I think that's actually, and I I know that I briefly spoke about it um, before, but there's, I think that's going to be one of the biggest changes probably in the in the coming year. Like I mentioned on that last question, we. We have employers having to sell themselves. This might be one of the ways that they do that. Um, just saying, like, look at our our uh, carbon footprint. Like, what is happening? Um, environmental, social, and governance efforts are something that more companies nationwide or globally are really having to focus on rather than just, say, your big name companies or your Fortune 500 companies or whatever the case may be. We are looking at people that are really having to say, hey, we need to make sure that it's not just um, our company that's hiring. We need to sell them on the fact that we are making these changes that affect positive, positively our environment or um, these efforts 
we're we're creating more transparency in our facility because we're doing these things or um we have these big lofty goals for 20 years down the road we expect to reduce our emissions points to this to this number whatever that number is it's all very imaginary and it's, it's mm. right now the numbers that are being put out there are showing to be pretty lofty and i certainly hope we get there i'm not i'm not being pessimistic i am just i am shocked by some of the numbers that people are putting out there a lot of the people have like fleets a lot of companies that are doing this have fleets and so right. they're they're moving to like electric cars and they're moving to um, being able to reduce so much of the waste that they've put out there into the world. It's, it's interesting. I think with the development of technology, we have an opportunity to grow really quickly with a reduction of some of these emissions or some of the wastes in a company. Maybe people realizing that, you know, overproduction isn't doing anybody any favors. It's just costing your company more or, you know, just overproduction leading to, leading to creating and having to spend more money on a storage facility to be able to hold all of the overproduced right, um, right. material, right? Like all of this stuff, there we're increasing our ability to track and monitor. Um, we're going from a qualitative to a quantitative you know, mindset of we really need to face what we're doing and we have to answer to everything that we're doing, you know, not just to the EPA, but to everybody. And everybody wants to know because they're, they have a, a vested interest in their opinion. Like I mentioned, you're selling yourself to these employees, why they should stay there and you shouldn't have high turnover. And this is one of the ways that they're also trying to do it. And it's probably going to require a, a, you know, an investment of a fair amount of money yeah. up front to, you know, to go to electric vehicles or to reduce, you know, mm -hmm. um, some of these emissions or things like that. So it could be, you know, it could be expensive on the, in, at least on the short term. But it is, it is a high financial commitment with a high payoff in the end if mm -hmm. it works out the way it's predicted to. But again, there's, it's, it's a risk. And so I think a lot of these companies right now are really making these calculated risks based on they're looking into their insurance companies. What do their insurance companies say? What are like, what, what's the cost of like the turnover and being able to install these, you know, like the plugs for each of these cars. And mm -hmm. if, if these companies really do, you know, start adding these vehicles, um, you can only imagine what that's going to do and affect the long term or even the big picture of how many stations, charging stations that we're going to have publicly throughout right. the United States right. and then globally. Right. So you, you look down the road and you have this, this kind of view on it and it has to be, or include if this goes in that direction and I'm not saying it will or it won't, but if it does, that is, that's a high impact to everybody, not just the company, not just the employee, but to everybody out there. I I mean, I myself, I drive a hybrid car because I was like, oh, I'm not so sure how I feel about a full electric yet. I really want to see five years down the road where we're at, how many competitors are really challenging each other to get perfect at this. Um, you even go for, so far as like, I know this sounds really silly, um, watching and listening to the F1 uh, engineers. Mm -hmm. If you look at Formula One, I mean, the, the dynamic jumps that they've made in technology in the car and the engine and elect 
like electric cars even is phenomenal and mind-blowing sometimes it's just the brilliance that comes out of the concentration of change if that makes sense oh it totally does um yeah it's going to be interesting to see how you know sort of how a lot of these big corporations and big companies approach it um and you know not not only from i guess uh a recruiting standpoint, but just the world is watching, right? I mean, it's, it's just a public image yeah. thing too. So. Absolutely. And it's, and I think that's the thing is going from just, not just the fortune 500, but everybody, everybody is watching yeah. because now it's on the forefront of everybody's mind because of whatever personal passion that they have to bring them to that um, knowledge or that focus. It's, it's absolutely correct. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, Claire, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This is uh, some great insight, and uh, hopefully uh, things will go uh, go a little better in 22, and then they went in 21. <laughs> we can get this pandemic <laughs> under control and get things a little bit back to normal. But uh, but thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me again. You have a wonderful day. You too. That wraps up episode 93 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about the show and listen on demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time.